Good morning, fellowship, and those of you who are visiting with us and those on live stream. It's so good to be with you this morning. My name is David. I grew up down in South Arkansas, North Louisiana area, all kinds of different styles of music, and we're going to drop some of those on you this morning. But I grew up also with a scripture, John 3.16, which a lot of you probably know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son whosoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life and that verse it doesn't matter whether you're from south arkansas or on the other side of the world the truth of that scripture is the truth that is our hope and it is jesus he came he lived he died he rose again and we want to proclaim that right out of the gate god so loved the world come on you stand with us as we sing here we go This is his invitation to us. Come all you weary, all you thirsty. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty. Come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find his mercy. Come to
be seated. As you do, let's watch the video screen together. I was fortunate to serve in law enforcement for many years. And through that experience, I saw a lot of death. I saw a lot of heartache. As I consider what life could have been like without grief share, and I think my family would be quick to recognize that I became calloused. As I began to process the death of my best friend who was also in law enforcement, and the death of my brother who died unexpectedly because of COVID, and then a coach who was a mentor, and then lastly, mama. There was a part of my heart that didn't want to receive help. And what a blessing to have a counselor that said, would you consider what it's like to potentially go to grief share? I was the man that was on the mat. Those that were in class with me, they were the ones that were on the mat. And we arrived, but those that were caring were our leaders, the, the food angels, those that had gone through the class before us and who were burdened that they had a heart to want to give back. But as I sat at the end of 13 weeks, I realized that the Lord allowed me to be carried by a group of people that loved God and wanted to give back to others. And now it's my turn to finish my own journey of grief so that one day I hope I can carry someone else. So I searched out Grief Share because I have recently lost my husband and I felt like I needed something more to direct me in a right direction. Grief Share is an opportunity to not only learn from the Lord, from other people, but to meet and feel that love from those people that I did not know other people could love you that you don't know. Um, so I, I felt a lot of love and a lot of prayer coming from those people that help you each day. And I can honestly say going through Grief Share for the first time, I actually felt a prayer lift anxiety from my shoulders. One evening going in, I said a prayer that I learned in Grief Share to ask me to make a step forward. And I went to bed that night, my anxiety was gone, and I felt it. And I wanted to shout it from the rooftops, how well and amazing that it felt, that I felt that prayer lift that anxiety from me. And so if it gives one person that one moment, I think it's worth it. This is a picture of my dad and I, and we went to a lot of ball games, played a lot of golf, did Bible studies together, and dad was my best friend. And mom and dad were married for over 50 years. But after a long battle with dementia, my dad passed away, and it devastated me and our family and our close friends. And my mom immediately plugged into Grief Share, and she said, Derek, you need to check it out. You'd love it. And I did not want to go to Grief Share. And she reached back out to me, I'm a slow learner. So she reached back out again after about six months. Hey, have you signed up for Grief Share? Kind of gave her the Heisman. I don't want to go to Grief Share, mom. And I realized why well, I didn't want to go. I lived in fear that what if I cried the whole time? Because I love dad. So after about a year, mom said, have you even signed up? I said, no, I haven't signed up, mom. Get off my back. So I signed up. And I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna drive there and see what happens. And I got out of the car and I got gripped with fear again. And I had this thought that, you know what? God's gonna be there and maybe he'll bring me some healing. So I walked in the room and I heard a lady on the other side of the room yell out my name, Derek Horn. And I looked 
I didn't know who she was. So I walked over and I said, how do you know me? And she goes, I've been praying for you for a month and reached out her hands and gave me a hug. And immediately I started feeling God's love and healing. And after about a week of hearing all of those eight people share their stories of how they lost a loved one, I realized the second thing that I am not alone in this. And so I wanna encourage you fellowship. Most of us are grieving the loss of a loved one. And so grief share is a great place to find healing. And I promise you, you will find God's love there. Welcome to fellowship this morning. If you're new, uh, my name is Derek Horn. I'm a Springdale community pastor. Click on the QR code to find out all the great things that are going on here at fellowship. And if you'd like to talk to a real person, we are out in the hallway and we would love to meet you and get you plugged in to one of our many small groups. Springdale, today is the day for our Springdale cookout. The high is only 99. So because of that, we've got an ice cream truck coming and we also have water sprinklers for the kids to run through. Sam Hannon, you can, you'll feel free to run through those if, as well if you'd like to. So uh, please join us. It's gonna be awesome. It's on 48th Street at uh, Tyson Park. So please join us for a, a great cookout. Let me pray for us and we'll continue in worship. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much that when we do come to you, when we draw near to you, you will draw near to us, Father, and you promise to heal us, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have this morning to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, different encounters with Jesus, and today we focus on Jesus' encounter with Pilate. But only a few days before that, Luke 19 explains to us that when Jesus came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And they said, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus said, I tell you, they creak quiet, the stones will cry out. All of nature testifies to the greatness and glory of God. And how dare let the stones take our place this morning, right? Let's stand again and sing along to this great song, a thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more. Let's sing along with Shelby.
John 3.16, we sang earlier. But the next two verses say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. For those of us who have believed and trusted Christ, we can say Psalm 91, 1 through 2 together in confidence. Let's read it aloud together. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We abide in Him, we live in Him, and we trust Him. this together for my waking breath for my daily bread I depend on you I depend on you for the sun to rise for my sleep I depend on you, I depend on you, you're the way, the truth and the life, you're the well that never runs dry, I'm the branch and you are the vine, draw me close and
our prayer that you would help us to live our lives in you 24 7 conscious of your presence conscious of our relationship with you abiding living in the truth of who you are and all that you've done and we give you thanks and praise in jesus name amen well thank you david atterbury for being with us this morning I love David's music. And if you don't know, David's been with us for a long time on staff. He serves in the Celebrate Recovery Worship Ministry. And just a reminder that we all have times in life where we struggle with hurts, habits, and hangups. And you guys are running on Friday nights, 6 p.m. for the meal, 7 p.m. for the ministry at both Fayetteville and Rogers campuses. So if you wanna hear more of David's Louisiana stuff, or if you want some help with something in life, join them. Thanks for being here, man. We love it. Well... Are you in or are you out? I just want to warn you, I'm coming in hot this morning. I'm going to make you make a decision within the first five minutes of our service. Are you in or are you out? Let's begin with an interactive exercise where I'm going to give you something to consider and then you make a decision whether you're in or out. You can even interact with your neighbor. You can just look at them and give them the old thumbs up emoji or the thumbs down emoji. Let's start with this one. Triple digit temperatures. Are you in or are you out? Some of you may like this. Any snow cone shop owners, HVAC repairmen, you guys are getting paid right now. Triple digit temperatures. How about this one? Razorback football wins eight plus this season. Now don't forget 12 games, four non-conference, four conference or eight conference games. We're going to win eight plus. Are you in or are you out? Now, for those of you who are new, if you're not into Razorback football, wrong church. <laughs> there are plenty of other options because <laughs> we're in. Eight wins. Coach Pittman's taking us to glory this fall. Cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, are you in or are you out? Or maybe I should say, do you wish you would have been out? <laughs> it's lost half its value this year. Where are you at, Elon Musk? Some of you, did you opt in to be paid in Bitcoin? Mm, 
In or out? I bet you're out right now. How about this one? Christmas decor on sale before Halloween. I know we have some retailers in the room. Christmas decor on, should we see Santa Claus and kids costume in the same aisle? I just don't know. Should we be forced to choose between candy corn and candy canes in October? Are you in or are you out? Some of you love Christmas. You want it up all year long. How about this one? The McRib. <laughs> are, you, are you in or are you out? You gotta admit, it's got some staying power. This thing's been around a long time. Maybe you're too fancy. Maybe you're Bobby McFlay fan or then you just can't do it. Bobby Flay does not eat the McRib, right? Hey, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of John. And, and in our passage today, we're actually gonna see this concept of being in or out in our text. John's the fourth book in your New Testament. It tells the story, the narrative of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And, and here's the idea we're gonna see emerge from the text today. I'll give it to you up top that whether you're in or out on Jesus will determine your destiny. Your heart condition before the Lord determines everything. It affects your eternity, that your acceptance or rejection of his word, your surrender or your resistance to his will will set the path for your days here on earth and your future for all eternity. Our passage is actually found in John chapters 18 and 19, and they tell the story of an encounter that Jesus had with a politician. The politician's name was Pontius Pilate. And we're winding down our summer series where we've spent time in the book of John, and we've been in a portion that zeroes in on some transformative encounters that Jesus had with individual people. And one of those people was a Roman governor, a man who had the power to actually save or condemn Jesus in the last days of his life. And the book of John dedicates more time to Pilate's story than any of the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And John's portrayal of Christ's interaction with Pilate actually focuses on the character or the, the person of Pilate and, and his disposition towards the Lord. Some Bible commentators have said that this is not Jesus on trial before Pilate as much as it is Pilate on trial before Jesus. Let's pick up the story, John chapter 18, look at verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas, that's the high priest, to the palace of the Roman governor. So we're moving from a Jewish legal system to the Roman legal system. By now it was early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover so Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? Jesus had been arrested and detained and rushed through a mock trial overnight in front of the Jewish religious leadership. They had pronounced him guilty. Then they took him at the earliest opportunity when the sun rose to the ruling governor, governing official, the Roman official Pilate to request sentencing of their convicted prisoner. 
And because of their Levitical laws, the Jewish leaders would not even enter into the palace of the Roman official. They didn't want to be in a Gentile home because it would make them um, ceremonially unclean. And they wanted to participate in this religious feast called the Passover. And because they would not go into the Roman governor's home, Pilate came out to meet them. Now, if you used your inductive Bible study method, which came along with this series in John, then we asked you to make some observations. And one of those would be to look for repetition in the passage. And there's some great repetition in these verses. One of the things that is repeated is where Pilate is. And he was repeatedly coming in and out of his palace during the story six different times. He either came out to the crowds and the Jewish leaders, or he went in to speak with Jesus, who was in custody inside. He was in and he was out. And we'll see that in the story. The scene is going to keep changing from the outside of the palace where he interacted with the crowds and the Jewish leaders, and then inside where he would have these intimate conversations with Jesus. And check this out. The in and the out does not just describe Pilate's physical location, but it's also a representation of his heart, his posture towards Jesus. He was back and forth, not only outwardly, physically, but also inwardly. When it came to his belief about the true identity of Jesus, he was a man in limbo, both positive and negative. We'll see him be sympathetic to Christ, but then he's ultimately the one who sentenced him to death on a cross. You just can't pin Pilate down. You might even say tongue-in-cheek that he was a typical politician, flip-flopping on his position, swayed by the latest opinion poll and subject to change. John's gospel will portray him as a man in limbo, a man vacillating between two positions, a man who just can't decide what he truly believes about this man that they call Jesus. And outside of the Bible, history remembers Pilate in similar fashion. Some would say that Pilate is for Christ and eventually came to sincere and genuine faith. Others would say, like Dante and Dante's Inferno, that he's permanently tied to the pit of hell. We aren't really sure where Pilate ended up in his belief about Jesus. The Coptic and Ethiopian Christians have actually sainted him and he has a day in their church calendar to be celebrated. And they believe that he became a true convert after the resurrection. The creeds like the apostles creed remember him as a villain. There's that line in there that Jesus suffered under who? Pontius Pilate was crucified, dead, and buried. So there's some debate about the eternal status of Pontius Pilate's soul, but there's no debate about this, so hear me. I can share it with absolute clarity. Whether you are in or out on Jesus will determine your destiny. When it comes to Jesus, for us, being in limbo is not an option. Your belief, your acceptance of, of his word, your, your rejection of the man raised from the dead, you cannot be wishy-washy in that decision because your purpose in this life and your peace in the next life is dependent upon it. Well, back to the passage. Pilate 
came out. And he began the formal legal proceeding with a question found in verse 29. What charges do you bring against this man? This was a part of the legal routine. A formal charge had to be lodged before the case could begin. Pilate was asking the Jewish leaders what the formal basis of their complaint was against their accused criminal. Why do you consider this man Jesus worthy of execution? Look at verse 30. They quickly replied. If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. The priest answered with attitude, we wouldn't be here if he were not guilty. He's already been convicted and we're just now passing him on to you for sentencing. We're not seeking your opinion or your verdict. We just need you to punish him. We are not here to perform an examination. We're here to request an execution. And Pilate initially refused to hear their case. He said, this is a Jewish problem. Let's send it back to the Jewish courts. But they insisted. They wanted him to hear them out because what they were requesting was actually outside of their authority. Only the Romans could sentence someone to death by execution. And look, John made a note in verse 32 about how this was actually a fulfillment of prophecy, that Jesus had spoken openly about the kind of death that he would experience. He said, one day I will be lifted up, speaking of the cross. He even said that he would die by crucifixion, which meant he would die as a result of a Roman sentencing as opposed to a Jewish law. John was affirming that this story aligns with the words of Christ. Well, after remanding the case back to the Sanhedrin, Pilate then had a personal conversation with Jesus, which meant he needed to go back inside. Look at verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. First note that Pilate did not blindly accept the guilty verdict of Christ's accusers. He was willing to speak to Jesus. He wanted to know who Jesus truly was. And he began by inquiring about the most serious accusation um, lodged against Christ, that he was a king and therefore a threat to Caesar. Jesus replied in turn with his own question. It's a typical tactic for him and set the tone of their interaction. I'm sure Pilate was caught off guard. He wasn't used to being treated as an equal. And the back and forth escalated intensity, but in intensity, but it ended with clarity that the governor truly was in the presence of a king. The interaction continues. Look at verse 37. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. But in fact, the reason that I was born, 
that's the nativity, and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate retorted. Jesus redirected the conversation from kingship, his position and and power to his mission, to principle and, and purpose. He wasn't interested in discussing his royal identity as much as he wanted to talk about his redemptive mission. He came to be the revelation of God. He is the word made flesh. He came to reveal truth, to testify to the creation, that's us, the will of the creator, that's his father. His kingdom, his followers are those who hear that revelation, that truth, and then put it into action. But look at Pilate's reaction in verse 38. It's an outburst, more than a continuance of the conversation. It seems like Jesus really pushed him outside of his intellectual comfort zone here. And so Pilate reacted with what I think was a scoffing question. What is truth? It's an epic question. It's a deep question. It's an important question, a question that everyone in the room needs to be able to answer. You know, there's a whole sermon that I could give just answering this question. And some preachers at this point would actually preach a second sermon and keep you here well into the afternoon. But I'm not going to do that to you. But I can't skip it. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you at no extra charge a mini sermon. Uh, You could call it a bonus sermon, a devotional thought dedicated to the existential question raised by Pilate, what is truth? So I'm going to take this sermon and I'm going to put it right here. Whether you're in or out on Jesus determines everything about you, determines your destiny. And I'm going to pick up this sermon and I'm going to preach to you this bonus material, what is truth? Have you ever thought about it? What makes something right or wrong? And do you think this question is really relevant for you when you go home and watch the news tonight? What is the source of truth? How do we discover truth? Well, let me tell you this, that truth is sourced in the Savior and not in yourself. Truth is revealed through the living word, Jesus, and the written word, the Bible. So let's think about truth. There are really two camps out there right now in our culture when it comes to answering the question. There are those who believe in absolute truth. You could think about it this way, that there's one standard of truth for all people and all places at all times. And then there's people who believe in relativism. They believe that truth is determined by each individual based on their culture or their experiences or their family or their circumstances or their community or preferences. Let's break those down individually. Think about absolute truth like this, that it's objective, that it is outside of our own personal opinion or influences. Truth is independently sourced, it's objective. And it's universal for all people in all places. What is true on this side of the room is true on that side of the room. And what's true on that side of town is true on that side of town. And what's true on that side of the world is true on that side of the world. And it's constant. It's consistent. It doesn't change. It's static. So truth is the same for all. And it's sourced outside of any individual. Relative truth believes very differently. 
That truth is actually subjective. It's dependent on influences or conditions. And it's localized. It's actually found within each individual or community. Have you ever heard someone say, you need to find your own what? Your own truth, subjective, localized, and then it's flexible. It can vary, it can change over time or circumstance. So to summarize, truth can be different for different people in different places. Relative truth means that one group can believe the completely opposite of the other group, and they both say they're right, and it's true. Let me break it down to you really simply, because I know I'm getting really deep here. Let's just talk about candy. Common ground. So I've got a jar of Starburst here, and I'm going to subject the jar of Starburst to two questions. First question, how many Starbursts are there in the jar? Thank you. I'm not going to give you the answer yet. The answer to this question is absolute. And it can be tested. We can pour the Starburst out and we can count the Starburst, put them back in, pour them back out, count the Starburst, and it's going to be the same number every time without variance. Second question. Which Starburst is the best flavor? Now, before you answer, it's strawberry. Because <laughs> that's the one I like, right? What's the best flavor of Starburst. Now, when it comes to truth, which one of those ways of thinking is the right way of thinking? Is, is truth more like the first question or the second? In other words, is truth absolute? It's the same for everybody all the time, or is it relative? And which one best describes the current culture that we live in? See, this is the deal, that our culture has drifted to relativism and it pushes, advocates, argues for this idea that you get to decide what is true for you and the only thing that is wrong is judging someone else for what they think is right. So which truth road does the Bible teach? Well, I love Isaiah chapter 45, verses 18 and 19. Jot this one down because you're gonna need it down in the future. For this is what the Lord says, Yahweh. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty. He has a plan, but he formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I'm not playing games. Hear this. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. The scriptures teach that truth is absolute, that it is the same for all people in all places at all times, that it comes from a source outside of the individual. It comes from the heart and the mind and the will of the creator, God. Truth is sourced in the savior, not within yourself. The Lord and the Lord alone determines what is true, what is right and wrong. In fact, you could define truth simply as this, conformity to the original. Author Randy Alcorn said it very eloquently and this way, you and I can discover truth, but we cannot create it. What's true is true, and what's not is not. For all of us, all the time, 
Our culture views truth as something inside of us, subject to revision according to our own growth and enlightenment. Scripture views truth as something outside of us, which we can believe or not, but never sway. Our job is not to find our own truth, but to discover and submit to his truth. Amen? And how is that revealed? Through the living word, Jesus, through the written word, the Bible. And a lot of our culture wars are fought on this battlefield, the battlefield of truth. Think about it, abortion, sexual purity, gender, marriage, racism. These are not mere matters of opinion, nor are they issues in which we develop our own policies or values, but areas in which the Lord has revealed his will and his plans. And our job is to trust and obey. Many sermon over. Back to, oh, not looking, not, not necessarily looking for applause, but I couldn't avoid it. Not the applause, the sermon. <laughs> I mean, I'm not looking for applause, but I mean, you had to give it. It was so good. So good. Back to Pilate, back to Pilate, back to verse 38. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Pilate tried to negotiate a peaceful release. He gave them an opportunity to set Jesus free, but the crowd became incensed and they passionately rejected Jesus in the favor of a known criminal. It seems as though Pilate likes Jesus more than the crowds. Well, then Pilate tried to meet them in the middle. He decided he would punish Jesus and humiliate him, then release him. Look at chapter 19, verse one. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. This is the scourging of Jesus, where the Roman soldiers with skillful hand would take a, a whip of nine tails. Sometimes at the end of those tails would be tied in a piece of rock or bone and they would mutilate their victims just to the point of death. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe. They went up to him again and again, hail the king of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. And after severely punishing him and mocking him, Pilate came back out to the crowd. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, here is the man or behold the man. And he presented a beaten and bruised and broken and bloodied Jesus. He was thinking that the crowd would sympathetically at this point say, enough is enough, let him go. He's learned his lesson, but Pilate underestimated the crowd's hunger for death. And upon seeing him, they cried out for more. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. 
But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted. They said, we have a law and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Pilate tried to release him. He declared he could find no basis for their accusations, but the Jews insisted that he had committed blasphemy, that he claimed to be the son of God. Upon hearing this, Pilate went back in to talk to Jesus. And at this point, he's in a panic. He's feeling both pressure from the crowd, but also inside a conflict in his heart. What if Jesus was truly from heaven? Look at verses eight and nine. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he, he went back inside the palace. He's in, he's out. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Fulfilling Isaiah 53 verse seven, which says like a sheep who was silent before the shearers, he gave no words. John presents Pilate as a man in limbo. He's back and forth. He's in and out. He's lacking clarity. Here it even says that he has fear or anxiety about the true identity of Jesus. He was in a crisis of belief. Matthew's gospel adds to his version of this story that Pilate's wife had warned him that she also had a crisis of belief about Jesus that occurred within a dream. Skip down to verse 12. The scene progressed with Pilate trying to free Jesus. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. The Jewish leaders moved to their final tactic. If we can't get Pilate to bend under the pressure of our guilty verdict and our angry mob, then we'll back him into a corner politically. And they accuse Jesus of being an enemy of Rome. They accuse him of trying to overtake the throne of the Roman king. And this puts Pilate on the hot seat. Will he defend the throne of Caesar from a rival king? Look at verses 15 and 16. He finally gives the crowd their wish. But they shouted, take him away. Take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king, but Caesar, the chief priest answered. And verse 16, finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. He relented. He handed Jesus over to be executed on a cross. So I guess ultimately Pilate was out. Well, maybe, Maybe not. Matthew's gospel adds that before handing him over, Pilate brought out a basin of water and he washed his hands before the crowd and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. His blood is on you and your children. So the Bible and the history books present Pilate as a man in limbo concerning the true identity of Jesus. He was both sympathetic to Christ and ultimately responsible for his death never hot, never cold, back and forth, neither in nor out. Don't be like Pilate. Your destiny hangs in the balance. Whether you're in or out on Jesus determines everything. So we must make a decision either to believe and follow him or to reject and ignore him. We cannot ride the fence. 
You know, I suspect that there would be people here today and you've been investigating the church. Maybe you have a church background and you're trying to decide whether to get back in. Maybe you're investigating a way to find satisfaction or peace in life. And I want to invite you to go all in on your faith, to place your hope and your trust in the man who died on the cross and was raised from the dead for the forgiveness of your sin. And there are thousands of people at our church who would tell you they've never regretted making that decision. There are also many believers in the room, people who've known Jesus for years and decades. Same question to you. Are you in or are you out? Are you all in? Fully surrendered to his will and his word. Totally committed to obedience and living a life of sacrifice. Ready to put the the, the cross before you and the world behind you. Unfortunately, many of us want just enough Jesus to get into heaven, but not too much to make our lives uncomfortable. Are you in? Or are you out? Would you pray with me? Let's draw a line in the sand this morning. I give you just some silent time between you and the Lord. The question is before you, will you follow me? Will you give up everything to be my disciple? Spend some time with him.
who to follow him all the days of our life. Hey, if you need prayer today, if you wanna process how to come to know Jesus or follow him more deeply, we've got people in the prayer room just to your right that would love to pray with you or I'd love to talk to you myself. Hey, fellowship, stay cool out there. We'll see you next week.